opinions expressed on right. ACB Media are those right. of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good day, everybody. Welcome once again to Sports Roundtable. I am Bob Branco. Good to be here today. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. My wife and I went out to eat. We had a great time. This is episode 316, dated Monday, November 27th, 2023. Let me introduce the panel, and I believe that we have everybody in place. Let's start out with Peter Alchil. Welcome from Coos Bay, Oregon, where we're having a nice rain-free week and rooting like crazy for our ducks. Quack, quack. Good luck. Right. Luther King. Good afternoon from a 42-degree Nashville, Tennessee. We're supposed to hit freezing. Reverend Michael Garrett. Greetings from a 57-degree sunny Missouri City, Texas. And Don Wardlow. Hi there, from Jersey, where it's in the 30s, which is about normal for Jersey from November till mid-April. Okay, because here in New England in late November, our normal is about the upper 40s, especially in southern New England. We're about the same as you guys here in the 40s uh, for the next few days. Before we continue, let me thank some people, as I always do. To make it possible for uh, for making it possible for Sports Roundtable to be aired and available to the public, we start out with Raymond Gay, our producer and editor. Thank you for helping us out. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place chat line. Thank you for what you do, posting our shows on Greeting Door Number Fourteen. The media outlets. Thank you for airing us when you do. We appreciate that very much. Also, Jacqueline Sylvia from JS Web Solutions, thank you for archiving our programs, as you always do, on my website. Just go to www.brancoevents.com, arrow down until you get to Sports Roundtable Podcasts, click on them, and you will see all of our archived programs from latest to earliest. Get it, Pete. Merci, Jackie. Si. And I also want to take this time to thank Desi, for agreeing to be our host for today's program. Desi, thank you for taking the time. And for those of you who are listening on ACB Media who don't necessarily get our shows from my email lists, allow me to give out my email address should you have questions or comments about our program because your input is what matters. My email address is bobbranco93, that's B-O-B-B-R-A-N-C-O, 93, that's one word, at gmail.com. BobBranco93 at gmail.com. Merci, Bobby. uh, I didn't expect that, Peter, but thank you. (laughs) Has our guest arrived yet? We are expecting... Not yet. The radio voice for the Texas Rangers, Eric Nadell. I'm here. Oh, there you are, sir. Okay, well, Eric, I want to welcome you to the show, and I also want to thank you for taking the time to spend with us today. We appreciate it. It's a pleasure. I am in 36 degree and sunny Durango, Colorado today. Mm, well, wow. the first uh, the first thing I want to say is congratulations to the Texas Rangers. They were excellent this year. They deserved the ring. And I really want to commend Bruce Bochy and company for doing a fabulous job this year. We appreciate that very much. I appreciated it very much too. It was 
it was really a lot of fun to do that final month of the season and uh, obviously the playoffs as well. I also so have great. A- I listened to you and Matt and just dynamite stuff. You demand. He. I also have a message from you from one of your colleagues, Mike Caps. <laughs> oh yeah. He says hi and he says congratulations on getting a ring. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to getting it in April. So, what do you think brought the Texas Rangers to this point? Admittedly. When the season began, I had the Rangers in the middle of the pack. I thought Houston was better. I even thought Seattle was better. Uh, I knew Oakland wasn't better. That, that was a given. But well, that was what do, you, what do you think? Uh, Bruce Bochy might be one of the reasons. But in your opinion, Eric, what do you think drove the Texas Rangers to world championship status this year? I think basically the fact that uh, their younger players – all seem to have breakout seasons. You would have expected maybe one or two, but not necessarily all of them. Um, who would have thought that Josh Young, a rookie who really struggled in his one-month call-up the previous year, you know, would bat fifth all season, uh, win a starting spot in the All-Star game, and you know, make himself the odds-on favorite for Rookie of the Year until he injured his thumb you know, and missed about five weeks. You add to that the breakthrough season that Jonah Heim had, uh, what Evan Carter was able to do when he came up for the final month of the regular season. And then looking at the pitching staff, uh, the value that Dane Dunning gave the Rangers stepping in when Jacob deGrom got hurt. Uh, Dunning was probably the most valuable pitcher on the staff. And, of course, they topped it off with the trade deadline acquisitions who were really helpful, Jordan Montgomery, to Stratton out of the bullpen and Max Scherzer, although Scherzer was somewhat limited due to a couple of different injuries. How did Bruce Boshi play to all this, do you think? Well, the one thing he did was, you know, he was the guy who I think instilled the confidence in Josh Young by putting him in the number five spot. He also maneuvered extremely adroitly the left field position. Uh, using the veterans, Robbie Grossman and Travis Jankowski uh, and rookie Ezekiel Duran, basically to hold down that spot until Evan Carter came up for the final month of the regular season. He also used his bullpen extremely well, a bullpen that had problems off and on throughout the season, but really gelled over the final month. And in terms of, you know, the personality of the team, the temperament of the team, I think Bochi kept everything really steady, really calm, you know, showed the type of leadership that was necessary for a club that had a tremendous roller coaster ride, you know, over the last four or five weeks of the season, losing streaks and winning streaks, but never fell into that irreversible downward spiral that a lot of other teams did. I think Evan Carter is a jewel. I think, uh, I think he's, he has superstar written all over him. So, so uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know how the how the organization feels, but they better look out for him. Well, I think the only question regarding Carter next year is where does he bat? Does he start off the year, you know, batting fifth or sixth, which he was doing, you know, quite a bit in the postseason? Does he conceivably hit third? Or do the Rangers make him the leadoff batter and find another spot for Marcus Simeon? The one other question involving Carter is, do you start playing him against lefties on a regular basis? 
or do you semi-platoon him, which the Rangers were doing in the postseason this year? Uh, at some point, he's going to be an everyday player. The question is whether that's in April of 2024 or sometime later on. That may depend on what the Rangers do in the offseason, whether they do acquire a right-handed bat and uh, whether Wyatt Langford is ready to play in the big leagues at the start of the season. He is a right-handed bat, and of course, he's also an outfielder. That's so the his combination of speed and power is, is something I think they'll, they'll, you know, they, they'll value. Yeah, and the power was somewhat surprising at the major league level. You know, he really didn't hit a lot of home runs in the minors. He doesn't look like a powerful guy. You know, he's on the slender side, uh, but he has great hands, amazingly quick and strong wrists, and showed power to wall fields when he came up. You know, a line drive hitter, but a guy who can hit those line drives, you know, hard enough and far enough to be a 25 to 30 home run man. What about Tavares in center field? What are your thoughts on him? He had a bit of a streaky season, but I thought it was very solid. I thought defensively he played well enough to conceivably be a nominee for a gold glove. Um, he needs to get a little steadier, I think. The ups and downs are a little too severe for him. But I thought it was a breakthrough season for him, too. And uh, I neglected to mention him when I talked about the things that went right for the Rangers. You know, coming out of spring training, when you looked at the Ranger batting order, you had no idea what you were going to get from the five spot on down. You know, after Adolis Garcia, you were going with a rookie, Josh Young, catcher Jonah Heim, who the previous year had a good first half and a very poor second half. You're looking at a left field situation that was, you know, completely up in the air. Uh, you didn't know what you were going to get from Tavares. Uh, but the Rangers basically clicked on all cylinders. And that was really surprising given they had five question marks from five through nine going into the season. Finishing 11-0 on the road that's in the postseason, that was pretty good. Where do you think the pitching staff lines up? Plus, speaking of Lankford, that's the same Florida Gator that was in the SEC. And where do you see him fitting moving forward with the outfield that you were mentioning? And where do you think the Rangers are trying to figure out the starting staff and maybe the back end is Spores a candidate for that? Since he closed out, I think the final game of the World Series, if I'm correct. Yeah, he closed out the final game. I think the Rangers are really going to go hard after Josh Hader. And if they don't get Hader, possibly try to trade for a closer from another team so they could use both LeClerc and Spores as setup men. Right. I think that would be the ideal situation. Um, they either have to re-sign Montgomery or find a starting pitcher, a veteran starting pitcher, to take his place in the rotation. And, you know, as far as Langford is concerned – I don't know. The only spot the Rangers have open right now, lineup-wise, is as the DH. And that's if they don't bring back Mitch Garver. Garver's a free agent, and you know, I guess the offers that he gets will determine whether or not the Rangers bring him back. The Shohei Otani question is also lurking above the Rangers' heads and every other team that's interested in him. You know, these teams don't want to commit to anybody else till they find out whether or not they're going to get Otani. And we don't know when he's going to make up his mind. But the Rangers are certainly players for Otani, who would become the everyday DH, in which case Langford would either start the year in the minors or would be in some kind of a platoon uh, with Carter in left field. I don't think the Rangers necessarily want to do that with Langford at the start of the year. They'd rather have him playing at AAA, getting regular at-bats. 
I'm a, I'm a Red Sox fan, so my next question has to do with a pitcher that took us to the promised land in 2018, which you now have, and I really Nathan admire. Avaldi. I also admire his community work, and that's Nathan Avaldi. What do you think about Nathan Avaldi right now? Well, he was a spectacular addition for the Rangers, and you know, a guy who the Rangers really weren't targeting initially in the postseason but uh, wound up getting after they kind of struck out on some other guys. And Ivaldi immediately became a clubhouse leader, you know, and as you mentioned, uh, Bob, in the community, he's fantastic. In the clubhouse, he's just as good, you know, even when he's injured and he is off injured. And that's probably why he was still available when the Rangers signed him, you know, pretty late in the free agent signing period. But uh, he did everything you could possibly imagine, including this, is heroic starts during the postseason. Eric, I'd like to say something at the risk of hijacking the program. Um, I am so glad that in the year 2023, a broadcaster can seek professional help for mental health issues and, that. and hang on to his job. That's the thing. Oh. I have suffered bouts of depression since 1981. And once things got so black that I almost killed myself, that was in 1988. And all this is before I became a professional broadcaster. I was one of those for 12 years. And the problem at the time was that both my broadcast partner and the man I was employed by, if I had told them that I was having bouts of depression, they would say things like, Hey, you're a broadcaster. What do you got to be depressed about? But you, Eric, can can have have had your issues and have survived them and have hung on to your job. And I only wish that could have been possible so many years ago. We don't know how many broadcasters the world lost because they had issues. And maybe a Donnie Moore from the uh, California Angels when he you know, when he was dealing with what he was dealing with he back was a in pitcher. the 80s, a former pitcher. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's very true. Even, you know, I, I went through a similar situation about 20 years ago, and I, I didn't think I could tell anybody. So I just kind of decided to grind my way through it. You know, I, while I was, you know, seeing therapists, I still was was able to do the job. I found that this year I really wasn't able to do it being 20 years old or being 72 years old, I was fortunate that the Rangers management was extremely understanding and extremely patient and that the, you know, the society's understanding of mental health issues has improved to the point that, you know, I could do that this year. You know, it also helps. I think that, you know, I've been here 44 years, you know, if I was a second year announcer, it might've been a little bit more difficult. But um, I'm very, very thankful and grateful to the Ranger management and the radio station at 105.3 The Fan for being patient with me and giving me the time that I needed. Eric, being the professional announcer that you are, I know that you have some thoughts on the changes in baseball rules in 2023. How do you feel that the addition of the pitch clock, the disappearance of the shifts, uh, enlarged bases, uh, God forbid the second base rule and extra innings. I call it the zombie rule. Which is a lot of crap. What effect do you think all of these changes have had on baseball and what 
they will be uh, affecting moving forward. Well, let's set the zombie runner rule aside because it actually came in the year before. I know. Let, let's talk about the new ones. I think they saved baseball. I really do. I think they made baseball a game that is now watchable for young fans, whereas it absolutely wasn't before. They took out 25 to 30 minutes of total dead time when nothing was happening by employing the pitch clock. And although there were players who were resistant to it at the start, by the end of the season, very few were complaining about it. Uh, the restrictions on the shift, I think, was were very helpful. You just look at a guy like Corey Seager, who was probably most adversely affected by shifting of any player in the major leagues the year that he had, uh, the number of times he was able to get on base compared to previous years, uh, I think it added more base runners and, as a result, more action. And then with the restrictions on pickoff throws and the larger bases, we had a huge increase in stolen base attempts and stolen bases, which to me are you know some of the most exciting moments you can have in baseball. Now, I thought all of the changes were immensely successful. So when you were dealing with what you were dealing with and had to step away, where did you feel like for you – was a turning point of like, okay, there's something that needs to be taken care of now. I can't wait any longer. Oh, well, I basically, Luther got to a point where I didn't think that um, my cognitive abilities were sharp enough to do wow. the kind of job that I'm accustomed to doing. Oh, my. Um, you know, a combination of depression and the medications I was taking mm -hmm. to treat the depression slowed my mind too much. And I wasn't going to go and you know, do a poor job and try and continue working. And that's what I felt I would have been doing, you know, had I gone out there and kept working. Speaking of the job you do, I, I, I want to compliment you on, on, on your, on your, on your job. I, I growing up in that area, I, I came up in a time with uh, guys like uh, Frank Gleber and uh, Vern Lundquist and Brad Sham. And yep. Cooperstein and he even, still, he was even the worst guy, currently. Even my guy uh, 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 Craig Way came came up. Oh Lord, yes. So uh, Bill in that area. So so so, but but you fit right in. <laughs> with the, every time I every time I come to that come to the come, go home, I, I I try to catch try to catch your, your the broadcast. So it's so funny. Thank I, you very much. But you know, you, you mentioned Frank Lieber. He was actually my first partner. When I did really? my first Ranger game in 1979, he was doing really? the TV play-by-play -play for the Rangers. And John Miller, who went on to fame with Sunday Night Baseball and is now the Giants' uh, primary announcer, was my radio partner. And I would go back and forth between radio and TV, but the Rangers didn't do that many telecasts back then. Teams didn't televise all their games with the exception of the Chicago teams and the New York teams. We only did, I think, 27 games my first year on TV. And we went to 30 the next year. And then within a few years, we were up to maybe 80 or so, but we still weren't doing any home games. And Frank Labor was the guy who really taught me how to stay calm on the air, how to stay cool on the air. One of our very first games was in Kansas City, and something got screwed up in the truck. And instead of hearing ourselves in our headsets, we were hearing the Kansas City announcers in our headsets. And it was as if nothing wrong was happening the way Gleber handled it. He just turned down the volume on his headset 
and just went on talking and never missed a beat. And I learned a lot from that. <laughs> he was a he was a really good announcer. And Brad Brad Sheehan pretty much does the same thing. I mean, he him Craig Way, Bill Shoning. By the way, Craig Way was Bill Shoning's partner for a while on Longhorns football, and I don't oh, know right, if he did and, basketball, and, but yeah, yeah, he he was the voice of the Horns forever before he went to the Spurs because Jay Howard was the voice of the Spurs at that time when Shoning was doing Texas. Did you do any work with? The elder statesman of Texas sports, uh, Bill Bill Mercer, uh, legend. No, Bill and I did not overlap. Um, I actually appeared with him a couple of times when he was doing sports on KVIL radio in the morning, and I was broadcasting hockey games for the Dallas Blackhawks. And every now and then, Bill would be kind enough to uh, run a feature on the Blackhawks. But uh, he's still going strong. In fact. Uh, I highly recommend people who, you know, obviously enjoy podcasts that they're listening to this show um, should listen to Norm Hitzka's podcast. It's called uh, I'm Just Wondering, and he just started it a few weeks ago. And Bill Mercer was one of the guests last week talking about the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. And Mercer was covering the, the assassination, the president's visit for KRLD. And uh, it's an amazing saga that he weaves throughout that podcast. So I, I highly recommend people do that. They could they can easily find it, you know, on any of the places where you listen to podcasts or or go to Twitter or X, what they call it now, and follow Norm Hitzkus, uh, which is at Norm's Clubhouse, and he has a link to all of those podcasts. But uh, Bill Mercer's ninety six years old; he's still going strong, and he was the professor at University of North Texas who taught many of the uh, sports talk show hosts in the Metroplex, and play-by-play guys as well. Speaking of one of those play-by-play guys, your former broadcast partner who's back in the voice of the main green, Dave Barnett. Exactly. He learned He learned from uh, Bill Mercer. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Ted Emmerich uh, was uh, a student yes. under Bill Mercer and about half the guys who work at the ticket. What happened to your guy, Ted Nichols Payne? You're a your long-time producer for radio. Well, unfortunately, he had a heart attack last year before one of our home games. He, oh, no. uh, he was in the process of getting out of his car. And uh, by the time they found him, he he was gone. And wow. I was actually off that week, uh, was in Colorado. And uh, it was a horrible experience for everyone. Uh, his family, of course, starting with them, but also for Matt and Jared, who had to do a game that day knowing that they had just lost a, you know, a beloved friend of, you know, a couple of decades, you know, who had been a, such a fixture on our broadcasts. How would he work the sound? Because I've, I've always wondered about you guys' sound with the broadcast. And I'm like, okay, because it, it feels like from time to time the pictures will fade unless that's, you know, done with producer or maybe you and the, you, Hixie and the producer and Jared will like, decide on how the sound is supposed to go or do you guys get that off the tv feed well we get a test before the game starts you know of the mix that is being sent into our headsets we don't necessarily hear the mix that the fans do i don't want all that crowd noise in my headset you know i've got to concentrate i also don't want the effects mic which picks up the ball hitting the glove and and that sort of thing Uh, i don't want it as loud as our engineer is going to run it in the mix that goes out over the year. Uh, Ted did a great job with that. Ken Mendez, uh, who replaced Ted, I think is fabulous as well. Uh, but, you know, Matt and I 
and Jared all get tests of our headsets before the game starts, but the crowd's not making a whole lot of noise at that point. So fortunately, when you have a guy who works as many games, you know, as Ted did or Ken does now, they pretty much know what we want. The problems can come sometimes when we're on the road because we're not using Ken. He doesn't travel. We're using an engineer who is based in the city that we're playing in. And every now and then, you know, we don't get the kind of mix in our headsets that we want. And maybe the mix over the air isn't exactly, you know, what we're used to either. But honestly, we're not even aware of that. We're only aware of what we're hearing in our headsets unless somebody texts us and tells us, hey, the crowd is too loud. They're drowning you guys out or something like that. Is that mandatory when you go to a city where they already have a producer already set up for you, especially when that one producer, like for the broadcast that I listened to, the Cardinals I listened to you guys, where Jim Jackson had to do both, where he was doing Cardinals on-set engineering like he always does, but he had to also do the opposing side with uh, the Phillies. A couple of years, maybe it was last year, a couple of years. Yeah, ago. it's it's not mandatory, but financially, it makes a lot of sense to not travel <clears throat> the engineer. You know, it costs a lot of money to travel somebody for the season. When you're talking about uh, the expensive hotels, the expensive per diem, yes, we are flying on the team plane, and there's no expense there, but it, it comes to a lot of money over the course of the season, somewhere between thirty and $40,000 to travel somebody. And there are teams that do it, uh, less than half, but I would guess probably out of the 30 teams, uh, somewhere between 12 and 14, travel their engineer slash producer along with the broadcasters. You know, there's one advantage to actually using an engineer who's based in the city you're playing in. And that is if you have some sort of problems with hookups, they're more familiar with the setup of the stadium, wiring of the stadium. And they probably can get a quicker resolution to your problem uh, than the engineer who has traveled to that city and doesn't work in that stadium all the time. Eric, if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to your um, time you took off uh, to deal with your mental illness. How, how did you know it was time for you to return? How, how did you make that decision? Um, good question. You know, I was able to get to a point where I thought my mind was sharp enough and the Rangers were good enough to let me do some practice games. I went over the course of two homestands. I went out to the ballpark maybe a half a dozen times and did practice broadcasts. I felt like a kid again, you know, making believe I was on the air when I wasn't. And it wasn't until I had done three or four games that I felt comfortable enough to tell my boss that, you know, I thought I was about ready to return and, and we set the target date. Did you still, do you still have those broadcasts or do you, did you actually have to go get a old school? I did not record them. (laughs) I was was just going to ask that. (laughs) I didn't want to hear them then, and I don't want to hear them now. <laughs> I would like at this time to ask Desi if there are any hands raised. We have people who are listening to us right now who may want to ask you a question or two, Eric, about sports, baseball, or Texas Rangers, or whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, we okay. have a couple of hands. Um, we have Mitch, and then after Mitch will be Greg. All right, we'll start off with Mitch. 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 Yeah, good afternoon, uh, gentlemen. And, and Eric, um, your your story is a great one, I, I must say. And I've been a, a baseball fan and a Dodger fan for uh, 
well, since they moved out to L.A. in 58. But I have I have noticed at the end, late in some broadcasters' careers, that uh, that clearly they they aren't as sharp as you know many years before, and that goes for uh, a guy who's still working, and I love him, Charlie Steiner. Charlie, and there have been rumors that Charlie is thinking of retiring. Um, but, uh, I've, I've noticed, uh, I've noticed a difference in him. And so, uh, and I'm 73, so I got a year on you, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the cognition does tend to slip a little bit as you get a little older. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about you, you briefly mentioned what, what really has helped the Texas Rangers is, uh, you taking Corey Seager away from us. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you didn't mention that yet. <laughs> yeah, Corey, Corey was, you know, he was he was tremendous with us. Uh, I'm sorry he he left, but uh, and with all uh, with all due respect to my dear dear close friend Michael Garrett, uh, I rooted for Texas because a you knocked off the Astros, and anybody who knocks off the Astros is a is is a team I'll support. And and two, you knocked off the Arizona Diamondbacks, who didn't treat us very well in the playoffs. So, so I was uh, I was kind of rooting for Texas. Not to mention the fact that uh, that during uh, the pandemic year, uh, we won our World Series in your stadium. So, uh, so uh, you know, I mostly came full circle. Yeah, well, and and you know, Texas is kind of my uh, my my favorite American League team, I guess these days. I'm. <laughs> I'm really a national leaguer all the way, but uh, I guess if I if I have to have a uh, an American League team I support, it's uh, it's the Rangers. So congratulations, it's it's well deserved. And uh, and uh, you have another Dodger there, Yavalde, who uh, started out in our organization, and and uh, I think he actually pitched on the major league level for a year. So uh, you got a couple of good guys there, and. Wasn't Ron Washington a coach with the, with the Rangers at one time? Yes, he, was he was the manager of the Rangers. Um, he was the manager of the Rangers. You know, for those who don't know his story, uh, he admitted to a, I think he had a cocaine problem that, uh, that he kicked. And I am so happy that he's gotten a, a, a managerial job with the angels. He's a I good guy. Too. He, he was in our minor league system for for a couple of years toward the end of his career. So uh, I actually may have to follow the Angels a little bit because I I really like Ron Washington and his story. His work's cut out for him, though. I look. Oh, I no think, question. I think if he gets some time, and I mean th- this goes for any manager that's taking a new job, with Mike Schultz taking the Padres job, Joe Espada taking over the Astros job. It's going to take some time. I mean, I I think, you know, those teams that just got new managers, we'll see how they all turn out. But I think Washington, if they put the right pieces in place that he can manage, and I think Garrett can attest to this, he's a pretty doggone good manager. He's great. He's a great people person. He's one of the best motivators I've ever been around. Um, You know, he was somewhat resistant to using all of the new analytic information. Uh, at the tail end of his time with the Rangers, when all that stuff was first being brought down to managers by people in the front office. But uh, I think having been in Atlanta for the last several years, 
and uh, with Oakland before that as a coach, he realizes now the value of all that stuff. And I think, uh, I think he'll now be the perfect combination of old school and new school managers. It's unfortunate for us that he's in the same division as the Rangers, because I would love to root for him. But as the manager of the Angels, that's going to be tough. I had really hoped that the Rangers could have won a World Series while he was manager. Oh, man, that twenty that 2011 series, Eric remembers this, because I'm trying to think, who was your broadcast partner? Was it Busby, I think? Uh, that year was Steve Busby, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I mean that that was a heck of a series, twenty eleven. St. Louis beat you guys, David it, Freeze. It, it went that, the was great, that was a great series. That was a that was a heck of a series. That's a great series. And, and, and the only other thing I'll say, Eric, is uh, <clears throat> uh, listening to Andrew Friedman talk. Uh, he's not going to allow anybody to outbid the Dodgers for Otani. Uh, <laughs> he was pretty. <laughs> he was pretty. Uh, specific on that the other day and even though we're only going to be paying for for uh next year for him uh being the dh um and we desperately need pitching uh starting pitching but uh, i don't i don't know that texas texas may have to uh may have to auction off uh, uh jerry jones uh, stadium <laughs> and 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 texas stadium and Mm-hmm. And everything within uh, ten square miles uh, to uh, to to foot the bill to get uh, to get Otani to uh, to Dallas. Yeah, I think it all is going to come down to where Otani wants to live. You know, if he enjoys living in Southern California, then he's going to sign uh, with the Dodgers. If uh, he'd prefer living in Northern California, he's going to sign with the Giants. Um, maybe he'd rather live in Seattle, you know, where they have a, a great Japanese community and a, yep. a tremendous yep. history with Japanese players. I don't think any of us know that. Um, I think that's going to determine it uh, rather than the money. I think he, I think he's going to wind up getting the same dollar offers from everybody. Uh, does, does, does Dallas uh, have a, a, a Japanese American community there? I've, I've been there, but I have no idea whether there's a, a community that he might uh, might be happy to to live among. It's a very international city. You Darvish was very happy there. Um, okay. You know, we've had a number of Japanese players over the years, but it's nothing compared to those West Coast cities. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's been an honor talking to you. And uh, again, I wish Texas luck as long as uh, up until the time they meet us in the World Series uh, right. next October. Sounds good, Mitch. Thanks for the call. Thanks, Mitch. Right. Take care. Uh-huh. Okay, Greg, you are up next Greg, on Sports up. Roundtable with Eric Nadell. Good evening, Eric, or good afternoon. My name is Greg. I'm from Waukesha, Wisconsin. Okay. Um, so I'm a Brewers fan, and um, the first thing I want to say is, um, what would you think about a Brewers-Rangers World Series? That would be kind of fun to uh to enjoy and my brewers haven't been to the world series in a long time. Um, my second thing is about the mentorship of uh, sports broadcasters. And I was reading in, uh, I was listening to Pat Hughes's uh, voices of baseball book about Bob Euchre. He did Pat Hughes does this series called voices of baseball. Mm-hmm. And as you know, Eric, Pat and Bob were, longtime partners, announcers with the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. And um, so a couple of things about Bob Euchre for you. I want to see, uh, it's amazing 
uh, how many years you know he's he's been broadcasting Brewers baseball for, and I I I don't know his age off the top of my head. I think I want to say eighty six or eighty seven, and I'm I'm just amazed that he can the way he can still see the ball and the pitches. And then um, the other thing I wanted to know if you've personally interacted with Bobby Burr. The thing I find interesting about Uke is that he seems to uh, build chemistry with his uh, broadcast partners and, and he seems to get uh, have more jokes and more in the uh, <laughs> in the bank as he gets older uh, as far as that goes. So I'm wondering if you've ever met Uke and um Go Brewers, and what do you think of that Brewers-Rangers uh, World Series? Oh, I'd love that World Series. That would be great. You know, since the Brewers have never won one, I'd love to see them win one for you, you know, before he retires. Uh, I don't know when that's going to be. Yeah, Yuke has been very kind to me over the years. Uh, announcers hang out a lot together before the games. So I've certainly spent a lot of time, you know, particularly when we were both in the American League. And we would play the Brewers a lot more often. Um, Uke was all actually mentored by a guy who was a mentor to me, and that's Merle Harmon. Um, you know, Merle and yeah, and, and one thing, and Uke, Bob... you know, they worked together for quite a while. And and Uke was just a former player stepping into the booth when you know Merle was able to uh, help him turn into more of a professional broadcaster. But uh, yeah, he's a tremendous guy, and I would—I'd uh, love to see the Brewers win a World Series while he's still working. When one thing in the voice of the baseball book he said is he his mentor, which must have been Merle, told him to call a game like he was calling it for someone who's blind or visually impaired. So that's pretty cool. I just think that's pretty neat that he uh, does that. Do you? Do you? think about that at all when you're exactly uh, i do the greatest the greatest compliments i get are when i receive messages from blind listeners and they tell me that they can they can picture the game and they know exactly what's going on uh and uh, pat hughes is one of the very best at painting that word picture too you know when you learn how to do play by play on radio you were taught that you have to paint the word picture the television announcer doesn't have to do that he just needs to put captures, captions on the pictures that the people are already seeing. There but, is um, one There is Greg, one television on. announcer. I, I want to recognize him and credit him for what he mm -hmm. does. He does try to make the television broadcast exactly like the radio broadcast. This is a gentleman that's been in the business for a long, long time. I think he started out in radio. He was with the Red Sox for many years. Dave O'Brien, I think he does a fabulous job on television. Uh, broadcasting it like it would be the radio. He started out with the Braves because he worked with the uh, what was it? The he was with the Johnson. Marlins for a long yeah. time. Yeah, and I remember um, with the Braves too. But you know the problem with doing the radio style play by play on TV is that the producers and directors don't want you to do it. They don't want you talking too much. They don't want you describing too much. Uh, they want more analysis and more personality because people can already see. You know, you don't have to tell them what the uniforms look like. You don't have to tell them what a player's stance looks like. Is he deep in the box or is he up in the box? You don't have to tell them if a pitcher is wearing his uniform extremely tight or his, his jersey is very blousy. You don't have to tell them if he's wearing short sleeves or long sleeves. Those are things that if you 
do that as a TV announcer, you'll be told not to do that. But I think the thing that helps me more is 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 the play itself. You know, mm-hmm. describe for me what is actually happening. And I, and I think uh, you mentioned Dave O'Brien, but I think one of my favorite television announcers today is Mike Tirico. Bingo! Uh, I really I can really stay attuned to what's going actually going on in the game, and and that helps. That helps a lot. But for the last caller that was on here, Greg, you can find a lot of those Voices of the Game series on YouTube. And also another guy I recommend you go listen to is the legendary Vancouver Canucks broadcaster, Bob Robinson, who has the booth named after him, the Bob Robinson Broadcast Condor. Because he was the broadcaster when the Canucks made the 1994 Stanley Cup final. And lost to the Rangers. Yep. Yay. Bob the other Rangers. Was the, was, the other Rangers, right. Oh. Yeah, the other one. with Ken, When when uh, Howie Rose was doing the ball play, not Kenny Albert at that time, I don't think. Yeah, how, yeah, he, he was. You know, what, what Howie Rose, he, he, he was a baseball and a hockey guy for a while. He was. Well, thank um, you yeah. for the suggestions. You, I will look into that. And and, um, and and Gary Cohen, if you want to, if you really want to get down into the weeds, you're still doing the Mets on TV, miss him on radio. And he's still the and he's the current voice of Seton Hall basketball. He's been doing that since 1989. And I guess the last thing I'll say is, Eric, I would commend you as a broadcaster <laughs> to tell other broadcasters um, about that, to mentor them in that way. And as you come across other uh, radio broadcasters, and I'm sure radio is getting the same way as TV because everybody uh... wants radio. Meetings, you know, so the less it's, you can say, the better, right? It seems, but you know, um, if you can instill that a little bit, that would be that would be great, Eric. So thank you, and I'll uh, listen. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Desi, Thanks, Greg. do we have any other hands raised at this? Time? Yes, we do. We have both Gene Johnson and Malcolm Cole. So, Gene, you're up first. Sure. Hello, Gene. How Hello, are Gene. you? Gene, are you? I am here. Sorry about there you that. Are. I had to unmute. Um, so I am a, I am a mass hole at heart transplanted here in Ohio. Um, <laughs> but I guess my my thing is is so I am I have always been a fan of Joe Castiglione, obviously. So um, I. me too. And I well I, obviously Bob. Um, but I was gonna get your opinion. And I know you probably aren't too filled in as as the situation. We now have a new GM. What do you honestly see as the right playing cards for uh, the Red Sox this year? Well, I think they got to go and get some starting pitching. Yeah, you know, they they need to get multiple starting pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know enough about their farm system to know how much they have to offer in trade or if they're just going to have to, you know, open up John Henry's wallet and, you know, spend a ton of money on free agents, but they have to rebuild their rotation the way the Rangers rebuilt theirs over the last two years. You know, the Rangers basically bought a starting rotation. Um, I'll throw out three names. I'll throw out three names, Gene. Yamamoto, Snell, Giolito. 
Yeah. And and the other thing I was going to say is, I mean, do you really honestly think that it was Bloom's fault that, you know, we just haven't made the World Series in the last few years? Or do you honestly blame it maybe on well, I, the... I think it's been some bad investments and some bad contracts. Mm. What do you think, Those Eric? Guys? Yeah, they, you know, they didn't spend their money as wisely as they could have. You know, you, some of their moves didn't work out. Some of their trades didn't really work out. But here in um, Massachusetts, we have a lot of discussions, Eric, about this. And the biggest hot spot is the debate as to whether Henry told Bloom to tighten the strings or it's Bloom's habit not to spend. Because we know that Henry can spend. He allowed other GMs to spend. He allowed Dombrowski to spend. All of mm -hmm. a sudden... He wasn't spending, and the first thing people think of is, well, see, Hein Bloom was a different kind of a GM. So, uh, obviously, uh, he doesn't want to spend Henry's money. And I'm saying to myself, it's not Heim's money to spend. It's John Henry's money to spend. So, what's the difference? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. You know, and none of us obviously know what was said between the two of them. But, you know, I think the new luxury tax structure might have had something to do with uh, – Henry's reluctance to spend as freely as in the past. Again, I'd just be guessing there. I don't really know. Eric, could you give me kind of a thumbnail? Because I know, you know, on Lance Lane, because he gets a second turn with the Cardinals. Thought, can you give me kind of a thumbnail sketch on Kyle Gibson and Sonny Gray? Well, Kyle Gibson had an underrated year. Um, his earned run average wasn't that great, but he won a lot of games for Baltimore. And I still place some value on the win for a starting pitcher. Mm -hmm. um, he he gave them enough innings to get wins. Right. And that for, for me is significant, especially on a very young team like Baltimore. He was really valuable to them. Uh, obviously he had an all-star season when he was with the Rangers, but you know, he's going back home. Um, you know, he's from St. Louis, attended the University of Missouri. Right. I think he'll I think he'll pitch very well for them. Um, as for Lynn, I don't really know what's happened to him over the past couple of years where all of a sudden he gives up so many home runs. Uh, he was also an all star when he pitched for the Rangers. And I really don't know, you know, why he's made enough mistakes within the strike zone over the last couple of years to give up as many home runs as he did. He's back um, Sonny Gray Lewis. is just yeah. Sonny Gray is an enormously talented pitcher. You know, of the three, you know, he's the guy who, uh, you know, I would definitely place among the elite level of major league pitchers. He's not going to throw as many innings as either of those two guys. He right. doesn't go as deep in games. You know, the analytic information shows that third time through the batting order or after ninety pitches or whatever it is, he's not nearly as effective. So he's not going to get you as many innings, but when he is on the mound, he's probably going to be more effective than the other two. But do you do you think that's enough for their rotation? Because I don't know if they got, because I think they got Miles Miklas signed for next year, and that's four starters, but I'm thinking there's probably going to be another move for a starter, maybe a number five, or how do you think, in your opinion, I don't know. Again, I don't know enough that. about their organization to know who they might have on the horizon. If they have a, a pitcher in their minor league system, they're willing to take a chance on or a combination of pitchers in their minor league system. Uh, I honestly, I don't know. 
I know they had a kid, Zach Thompson, who was from Kentucky, got called up more than once in a relief role and as a spot starter, but I don't know if he is going to be, you know, used, stretched out as a fifth starter or more as a reliever out of the left-handed slot. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that much about the Cardinals. They, uh, It still pains me anytime I think of them. Anything else, Gene? Anything else? That's about it. I mean, as far as baseball goes, I mean, I'm I'm somewhat familiar with it. I do listen to the games, but li- this year was kind of a disappointment after like what October. Are, so before you get out of here, what are your thoughts on Pat Murphy being named the uh, permanent bench boss, or the Greg Council basically making a lateral move to go to the Cubs and stay in the Central Division? Well, Pat's got a lot of experience. He certainly knows how to manage a ball club. Not oh, surprised sure at all, you know, to see him see him get another opportunity. As for Council going to the Cubs, I was as surprised as anybody. You know, <laughs> I had I had no idea that um, he was interested in going there. I had no idea that he would get that kind of money. I didn't either. I, I think <laughs> it's good for major league managers that he made that move. As you know, compared to their compatriots in other sports, I think they're relatively underpaid. And uh, Council's move to the Cubs probably went a long way toward changing that. Okay, let's bring Malcolm aboard. Um, Malcolm, welcome to Sports Roundtable. How are you? Thanks, guys. Um, in the middle. What's up? Okay, so I followed the Rangers in the playoffs, and I was rooting for the Rangers because of Bruce Bochy. I've always said all along, San Diego has been a, leap, a leaping place for champions to come from. Breeze did it with the Chargers. Left the Chargers went went and won the Super Bowl. Now Bruce Bochy left the Padres, went to the Giants, won the World Series, went from the Giants, went to the Houston, and went to Texas and won a World Series. So I just say I think we're just a leaping joint where everybody can go and win a championship after they've spent some time here. But my true question to you, Mr. Eric, is – I was never impressed with Josh Hader's performance this year, and many of the Padre fans I've spoken to are not impressed with his performance either. Why are the Rangers so hot on Josh Hader? Well, I think because of his stuff. I think that, you know, when a guy throws as hard as he does and you look at some of the numbers, opposing batting average and runners per inning and strikeouts per inning, that sort of thing, you're overwhelmed by him. And I think every team always thinks that they can make whatever small adjustments the pitcher of that quality needs, you know, to regain that elite status. And I'm sure the Rangers are no different in that regard. You know, they've scouted him thoroughly. They probably have a couple of little adjustments they feel that he can make, which are going to, you know, greatly improve his performance. But clearly they're interested because his stuff is just overpowering. Okay. And he can throw multiple innings, you know, if that's the way you choose to use him. Sure. Right. Okay. Appreciate your answer. Thank you. Thank you, Malcolm. Speaking of new managers, what about Houston promoting uh, Joe Espada, the um, bench coach, to take that job? I was glad to see him get the opportunity. You know, he's been a finalist for so many managerial jobs over the years and hasn't gotten them that I'm glad to see him get the chance. I think he'll do a great job. Everything I've heard about him is positive. He knows their players. Um, He's bilingual, which is very valuable these days. 
uh, and I think that uh, I think he'll be great for them. Desi, do we have anybody else waiting in there, the wings? There is no one waiting right now. Okay, I have a question for you, Eric. And <laughs> being in New England, uh, there is a lot of Yankee discussion. What do you think Aaron Boone's future is going to be with a team that, to me, underachieved? Big time. Well, they didn't fire him, so obviously they're giving him another chance. I think you'll see a big spending spree from the Yankees this offseason and probably uh, give him a contending team next year. I think he's a really good manager. Uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if he doesn't stick around there for quite a while. Why does he get – I mean, I know that he really hasn't had much to – well, I shouldn't say much to work with – but he thinks the reason why he gets a bad rap is because of the front office sometimes gives him some stuff that he really can't work with. I don't know. They've just had an inordinate number of injuries the last couple of years. You know, it's been absurd to go in there and see the, the players who are playing for the Yankees compared to what their roster looked like going into spring training. Right. Um, I know every team has injuries, but they just haven't been putting the team on the field that they expected to put out there, you know, in any reasonable percentage of the games. Eric, do you feel that injuries are way up in baseball? And if you do, why is that? Because I've noticed a drastic increase in injuries. I mean, I think it's Every time sports. you turn around, somebody's going for Tommy John surgery. Somebody's out for six weeks. Somebody's out for this and that. Some teams have as many as 16 pitchers on the injured list. Mm -hmm. How come that seems to be the case today? And it wasn't anywhere near like that when we were growing up. I don't know what the rate of injuries is to position players. Clearly, it's higher with pitchers than it's ever been before. And, you know, it's been explained by kinesiologists and, and physicians, uh, you know, orthopedists, that pitchers are throwing so hard now. Uh, they're able to, you know, put so much torque on their arms that, you know, there's no way to build up the ligaments in the arms to sustain that kind of stress. You can build up the muscles, but you can't build up the ligaments. And, you know, those are a, a very high percentage of the injuries. You know, you're seeing the average fastball velocity now inch up toward 95 every year. And, you know, as that inches up, the number of injuries uh, inches up as well. And I think they're definitely related. You Why are pitchers they had to bat that they should back them off and not have them throw so hard? and maybe, you know, build up their arguments before they get up to that? It's an interesting question. You know, I'm sure that the teams are studying that possibility, but, you know, that extra mile per hour makes a, a big difference in whether a pitch gets hit or doesn't get hit, and the sort of margin for error a pitcher has if he doesn't hit his exact spot. Why do you suppose pitchers are throwing harder now than ever before? Oh, the training techniques are much better. Um, the computer analysis of their actual deliveries, their arm slots, um, everything that science has brought us has allowed the pitchers to improve their velocities, uh, nutrition, workout regimen, and the actual mechanics of the pitching motion, which is you know analyzed now by computers. You think sometimes it's circuitry overload for a you know a pitcher with with all the science and stuff that they get. You think sometimes it's you know, circuitry, circuitry overload to the brain where they try to figure out where their happy medium is, where they don't have to either throw hard or they have to throw 
you know, hard enough to get out? Um, maybe. It's if you need better command. If you're not going to throw as hard, you need better command. And that's something that's hard to teach. Um, I don't know. It's a It's a reasonable question. have about four minutes to go so it'll give people time to ask a quick question for eric i do have one more question actually go ahead go right ahead are you eric are you the type that that holds accountability for alex cora's past or have you let it go or do you think that um you know his his wrongdoing in the past should have you know caused a permanent quote-unquote uh suspension no i don't think you should have gotten a permanent suspension i think the the failing in dealing with the astros was in dealing with the, the team as a whole mm -hmm. um the the sanctions against the club weren't strong enough i don't know that they could have taken away the world series championship but uh that should have been more strongly considered i know mm -hmm. they had to give give the players immunity in order to get the information that they needed and to get all the information out. But no, I, you know, I believe in forgiveness and I think that Alex deserved the second chance. Speaking, We do have one more hand. Yes. Desi, who is it? Who is it? Rick Triano. Ah, Rick. Rick from Florida. Rick, you got about I know one and a half, two minutes. Go right ahead. Oh. Rick. Okay. Real quick. Uh, first of all, congratulations to the Rangers. I think they had a great year of this year. But my question is um, with the pitcher pitching harder um, and, you know, the fastballs, like you say, averaging 95 miles an hour, they're not going as long. They're, they're going six, seven, seven and a half innings Four, five, um, four, yeah. five, less than that. Four, five. You're right. Four, less five. than that. Yeah. And it, and it just, it, to me, I look, I loved it years ago. I guess I'm, I'm old school, sort of thing. I love to see a pitcher go, you know, nine innings, go in to extra innings. You don't see that now because these guys are just. Pitching harder and their arms are, 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 you know, basically destroyed by the time they get yeah. through the year. Yeah. It's just a whole different thought process now. You know, the, the analysts have decided that uh, the way to prevent runs is to have the starting pitcher go through the lineup a couple of times. Not a third time, and if he goes a third time, certainly not a fourth time. And all of the numbers show that the hitter's advantage against the pitcher becomes greater and greater as the game goes on, with very few exceptions. You also and, have to consider the bullpen, though, too. And that's that's what's you know that's what's led to all of this. Um, you know, using multiple relievers instead of just one or maybe two in a game. You know, that's really yeah. changed over the last few years. It's it's just an approach that's come down from the front office where they believe that's the best way to allow the fewest runs over the course of a season. And, uh, it, you know, I regret it, it too. It, I loved seeing those pitchers' duels in the old days when oh, yeah. Drysdale and Spawn and Marischal yeah. and Gibson Smoltz, and those oh guys. Smoltz, 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 the entire Smoltz, game Smoltz, against Smoltz, each other, yeah. even into extra innings. 
Well, gentlemen, it looks like we're out of time for this edition of Sports Roundtable. Eric Nadell, voice of the Texas Rangers, thank you very, very much for spending an hour with us. And good luck to the Rangers next year. They deserve another world championship. They're headed in the right direction. Yes, sir. And thank you again. I enjoyed it very much. Thank Thank you, you, guys. You're welcome. And thanks, everybody else. And go safe with God's abundant blessings. We'll be back next week. I'm Bob Branco. Take care.